following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So, I would like to thank the elders for um, bringing the word while it's gone. Um, this is so important as we function as a plurality of, of elders, of shepherds, of this little flock that I'm not the only voice uh, for instruction and correction and encouragement. So um, working together like this is how we all um, work to look out for the family. So thank you, men, for, uh, for doing that the past few weeks. And speaking of looking out for the family... We are going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 this morning. And this is another reminder um, that the church is not just an incidental organization designed by men to entertain um, um, do-gooders on Sunday mornings, but that we are a family adopted by God, our Father, by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are gathered together for the mutual benefit and growth uh, of the family, to the glory of God and for the good of His people, and that we should treat each other accordingly. So let's look at 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, and that's page 992 in the Pew Bibles. It's a long passage, so hold on. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, <coughs> excuse me, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us back together as a family this morning. We thank you that we can freely gather around your word and read it for ourselves in a language that we understand. We thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you in song and uh, in giving and our attention. Lord, we just are so grateful. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning through your word, for we know that these are your words. But more than anything, Lord, we pray that you would show us your glory, that we would see you. And know you more. And become more like your son. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hmm. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. So, be nice. Let's close in prayer. What's rule number one? Don't be a jerk. That's a, okay. Well, that's not all there is here for us this morning, although rule number one is very important. And I was reminded of rule number three uh, yesterday. There is a rule number three. Never watch a dog movie. The dog always dies. <laughs> don't, don't do that. All right. Well, this is rule number one. Don't be a jerk. 
We learned last time in 1 Timothy, when Mr. Aaron spoke in 1 Timothy, Paul's instruction to Timothy not to let anyone despise him for his youth. Uh, Timothy was a pastor of this church in Ephesus. We call pastor because that's how we understand it best. But he had the added challenge of being young, very young. I used to be young, but I don't qualify anymore. Um, Timothy had this added challenge. You can laugh if you want, but it's biblical. I'll tell you all about it. (laughs) He had the, the added challenge of being young in the church at Ephesus, and this complicated how he could treat people and how he could speak to people. And honestly, I don't know how guys come out of Bible college or seminary right into pastoring a church at 21, 22 years old. When was the last time a 21-year-old gave you good advice? Honestly. It's been, it's been done, but when your pastor is the same age as your grandkids, sometimes it's hard to take. It can be kind of hard to listen to what they might have to say to you, even if it's good. And I know for some of you it may even be <coughs> excuse me, a challenge listening to me because I'm close in age to your own children. Um, even though, according to Scripture, anyone over 40 is an older man. So I am now considered an older man. Older than some, at least. Anyway. Well, the question before Timothy was, how do you treat these people? How, um, really, how do you view these people? How do you see them? How do you view older men and women? How do you view younger men and women? And it's an important question because as the armchair uh, psychologists say, how you, uh, the way you treat other people depends on how you view other people. How do you see them? And I would say that the, verse, the reverse is also true and can be very telling of the conditions of our own hearts. How you view other people will determine how you treat them. I guess it's really the same thing. In our day, 2018, praise the Lord, if you disagree with someone, it's because you obviously hate them and think they are bad. (laughs) Just turn on your computer or phone or whatever, and that's what you will see. Disagreement is often misinterpreted as hatred. But looking through this lens of how you view people determines how you treat them. What does that really say? It says that people see one's opinions and whether or not they line up with your own as a basis of their worth, not their character. It's a matter of you agree with me, I think you're good. You disagree with me, you're obviously bad. And if you all agreed with me on everything, you would be obviously bad, just like me. And disagreements in how they are handled in the church is exactly what Paul was after here in this text. He wasn't writing about general interactions, how you should uh, just view people in general, though those are involved at the principal level. His instructions for Timothy had to do with correction when people in the church family were wrong. This has to do with confrontation and correction. Now, I don't know about you, but I get a cold once or twice a year, like a head cold, a chest cold. And I'm a terrible patient. You can ask my wife. 
there's nothing worse than a man cold. You know, giving birth has nothing on a man cold. <laughs> World is coming to an end. Any kind of congestion, if it's allergies or sickness or whatever, just squeeze my brain, and it's already in bad shape, but the cold makes me absolutely worthless. And those times when I'm sick like that, I take one of, one of two different medicines. And if you think what you want about them, I don't care. They work for me, either Mucinex or NyQuil. And this is by no means an endorsement. Try NyQuil, just like Pastor E. Butt checks can be mailed to 20 Indian Ridge Road. <laughs> These medicines work the best for me that, that I've found. And they, they work really good, and they have one other thing in common. They taste the worst. They are horrible. Turn your face inside out. But the truth is that the best medicines usually taste the worst. The medicine that is best usually tastes the worst. Correction within the church family is no different. It is a good medicine, but it usually tastes pretty bad. Being corrected when we are wrong really is the best for us, isn't it? In theory, right? Though it may be very unpleasant for us to endure, it is good for us. And sometimes we are the corrector and sometimes we are the correctee. Well, none of us are perfect. But how we view those whom we are correcting or those who are correcting us will determine how we handle the unpleasantness. Wouldn't you agree? Paul instructs Timothy to not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as he would his father. Now, the Greek word that's translated here in our Bibles as rebuke is actually a much harsher word in Greek than is translated in English. Rebuke doesn't seem so bad, but the Greek word means to strike, to smack around. Don't smack them around when they're wrong. You did something wrong, cuff them upside the head. There's nothing more disrespectful. Well, maybe there is, but it's still bad news. You don't smack people around, but you plead with them earnestly as you would your own dad. Hmm. Now, I recognize after I wrote this that not everybody has great examples of mama and a dad. And I'm sorry about that. Um, I can only go from my own frame of reference. And my mom and dad are great. But I wouldn't smack my dad around if he's wrong. I probably would have worn my hands right off to the nub. <laughs> Don't. We'll edit that part for the internet. He might listen. He's not here this morning. <laughs> Older men are to be treated with deference and respect, submission and respect, like you'd treat your own father. And this is important. But what is equally important is that the older men are not spared from correction. I would just let it go. He's, you know, he's been around longer than me and it's okay. 
That's not right. We can't ignore it. Though the medicine may taste bad, it truly is the best thing for them and for the whole church family. Because when we're wrong about something, whatever it happens to be, do you know that it affects everyone? It affects our church family when things are not right. They're not right in your own heart. If they're not right in your own home, it affects the way that you interact with other people here. It, it is a big deal. And it's not to be ignored when we're in the wrong. We need medicine, even if it tastes bad. The command to not smack around and earnestly plead with covers all of these different categories of people here in these verses. It's not just don't smack around the old men, but uh, don't smack around the young men. Don't smack around the older women or the younger women. So just as we are not to smack our dads around, neither are we to smack around our brothers, the younger men. For Timothy, this was the guys his age and younger. These were his equals and not his subjects. Far too often, I think, um, pastors treat the church family as if the pastor was the king and the people are his subjects. And as if it's the pastor's job to reign over the people and make them conform to his will. This attitude and practice is evil. Not just bad. It is evil. I am not your king. Jesus is your king. Our king. Mm. It is not my job to reign and rule over you little subjects. No. We are servants of the Most High God together. Hmm. Paul instructs Timothy to treat the younger men as he would treat his own brothers with openness, honesty, concern, and respect. Again, this is not just generally speaking, but especially when it comes to the need for correction in matters of doctrine and behavior. In verse 2 it says, moving on from not smacking around the older men or the younger men, don't smack around the older women. Please, but earnestly plead with them as you would your own mother, with love and respect. I think when you uh, consider correcting someone, an older woman in the church, you have to ask yourself the question, would I speak to my own mother this way? Hmm. My mother would wear her knuckles out on my face if I did not speak to her respectfully. And finally, the younger women. Treat them as sisters when it comes to correction with love and concern, with all purity. The purity part is very important. Timothy was in a position of authority and influence. And here Paul instructs him not to take advantage of that authority and influence for any kind of gross sexual impurity. Don't do that. Oh, the countless pastors and priests... If only they'd heeded this correction. 
The instruction for young Timothy and to us was to exercise meekness when it came to correction within the church family. Do you know what meekness is? It's not mousy. It's not scared. It's not quiet. It's strength under control. Strength under control. There is no need to unleash the full fury of our pent-up wrath and anger at injustice when a gentle word will do the job and strengthen the hearer, the speaker, and their relationship within the family. There are two principles at work here, not just how we correct people when they are wrong, but also that we must correct people when they are wrong. Ignoring problems is not helpful. Um, One of our new old favorite movies is The Natural. Remember that movie? It's a baseball movie, oddly enough. With Robert Redford, he's the greatest baseball player. He's on his way. He's going to break all the records, and he gets shot by someone that didn't want him to advance or whatever. And they never remove the bullet. And years later, years go by, and he's back in baseball again, and uh, he gets poisoned. I'm spoiling the movie for anyone that hasn't seen it. It's been around for a long time, so if you haven't seen it, it's not really my fault if I spoil it for you. He gets uh, poisoned and has to have his stomach pumped. And they found a silver bullet in his stomach. And it had worn away the stomach lining. And his, his stomach had burst at any moment if he played baseball. I can't think of a worse sentence than that. But because the bullet was not taken out, it did damage to his entire body and threatened his life, an old wound threatened his life again. We must correct wrong. We must confront our brothers and sisters in love when there's something wrong. We can't ignore it because it will not help. It'll only make things worse. We must correct people. And this takes courage and faith. Courage to say the hard thing and faith that the Lord will use it for His glory and our good. And the Lord knew this would be an issue for us. Jesus said in Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17, mark this down. I don't care if you're taking notes. Write it down anyway. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, If your brother sins against you, that's brother or sister, sins against you, go tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
Does Jesus say, ignore wrong? Does Jesus say, come down with both feet on that jerk? No. He shows us the way to speak the truth in love. Correction and confrontation of sin, or even wrong doctrine or poor understanding of things, it should always, always, always have restoration as its goal. Not, not shame and not punishment, not excommunication. Correction, handled with love and respect, helps us grow, not just as individuals, but as a family. It helps us all mature as disciples. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Correction helps each part work properly so that our body can grow. Ignoring wrong is like ignoring a disease or a wound in your own body. Ah, it'll get better on its own, or I don't care, I'll just let it go. This is not good. It's not good for you. Why would it be good for the church body? It's not. Correction helps each part work properly so that our body can grow. And it's not easy. But it is good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, I know this word is brief this morning, but it's not unimportant. I thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we are not here to just ignore one another's faults, but to help each other grow and mature as disciples of Christ even if that includes correction. I pray, Lord, that we would handle situations when necessary with grace so that you would be glorified and people would be edified, encouraged, and would grow. Lord, help us not to ignore this word and help us not to be overzealous with this word looking to pick away at every fault that we see. But I pray, Lord, that as you give occasion by your Holy Spirit, that we would speak the truth in love so that each part of our little body here would be functioning properly and would grow for your glory and for our good. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you uh, take the advice of the word and uh, use it against me, I would remind you that we are encouraged to speak to one another in love just as Christ himself has spoken to us. Jesus didn't kick down the doors of reality and, and blow everything apart in a harsh way. His life and death changed everything. 
and he changed everything inside of us, but he did so gently with love. I've heard he said that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and will never come into your life uninvited. Our Lord is the gentle shepherd, and he died on the cross to do what is necessary to deal with our sin. So who are we to stand in judgment on anyone else? But when it comes to correction, we do so in love in order to help, not to judge and to punish and condemn. Just as Jesus came to do what was necessary to make things right in our hearts and lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your gentle love for us. We're so thankful that even though your life and death and resurrection altered the nature of reality, you still come to us as a gentle, still, small voice. Father, I pray that we would treat each other with the same love and respect that you have shown us, not forcing us to come to faith, but gently inviting us to kneel at your throne. I thank you, Lord, that you did what was necessary to pay the penalty for our sin. And I pray, Lord, that those of us that are in need of correction will respond and change for the betterment of not just ourselves, but of our whole family here. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom when it comes time to speak to someone for correction, that we would do so gently and that we would, ignore, we would not ignore those opportunities, but see them as opportunities to help each other get better, not to worse. Lord, in all this, we just pray for more grace. We love you, Lord. And we love each other. And we want to be more like you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.